Well, if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke, Luke chapter 20 this morning. And uh, Jesus is in the temple teaching. Last week, we looked at the fact that uh, Jesus rearranged the, the furniture in the temple. Uh, it was not a place of worship. It was not an atmosphere where people were connecting with God. Uh, it was an atmosphere where it, it was really like a zoo. I mean, they had sacrifices uh, inside the temple court and people were going there to purchase their sacrifice. Uh, There were money changers ripping people off who had come from distant lands and uh, needed to exchange currency. And uh, people were coming in and it was was just a, a zoo atmosphere. People were not connecting with God. And uh, Jesus turned the tables upside down. He rearranged the house because Jesus said, he said, my house, my house, the Lord's house is to be a place of prayer. And that wasn't happening. And so we continue in this week. This is the last week of Jesus's life before he's crucified and and the resurrection occurs. And he's teaching in the temple. It's the next day. And uh, imagine, everything's in order now. People are at peace. People can come and they can connect with God. And lo and behold, who is teaching? It is Jesus himself. My, what it must have been like to sit at the feet of Jesus. There's no distraction. And they can, they're hinging on his every word. And Jesus shares a parable. Now, typically when he teaches a parable, it's really for the, the believer. It's really for the disciples. But in this particular parable, it's an analogy that he wants everyone to get, particularly the re- religious leaders who are opposed to him. And so here we are in chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 18 this morning. And the Bible says this, and he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let out and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And when they they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him, 
What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that uh, we would just get rid of the distractions that are in our minds and the things that have occurred this week. And Lord, we would hear your voice through your Holy Scripture. Holy Spirit, be our teacher, our guide in this place of worship this morning. And may we be careful to obey, to choose to follow you, to choose to build our life on the chief cornerstone, the capstone, the most important stone in the foundation of the building Jesus Christ may our lives be built on him we pray in Jesus name amen Jesus tells this parable about a vineyard now you need to picture in your mind this this uh, vineyard Jesus is in the temple and historians say that King Herod had carved out this um incredible grapevine that was covering the the front door of the temple was over the front door of the temple and it was it was a hundred feet tall 70 cubits and so there's this enormous grapevine and this grapevine it continues on into the temple court or into the temple itself unto the holy of holies and this grapevine represents the nation of Israel. The grapevine was the symbol of Israel. Much like the bald eagle is for the United States of America, the grapevine represented Israel. And so as Jesus um, introduces this parable, he's talking about a vineyard. And they know exactly, the religious leaders know exactly who Jesus is referring to. And, uh, and uh, the grapevine in the Old Testament is uh, very important. In your outline this morning, you ha- have Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. We won't look, read that, but the last verse, verse 7, says this, For the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel and Judah. So this parable is about Israel. Now, who are the various characters, people in this in this uh, parable? I have that listed at the top of your listening sheet. But you find, first of all, um, you find the man. And who is the man? The man is God. God is the owner of the land. God is the owner of the of the vineyard. God has planted the vineyard. And uh, in this vineyard, he has given it to the tenants. And who are the tenants? The tenants 
are the leaders of Israel. And so God owns the land, but he's rented the land. He's rented the vineyard out to Israel. And the the leaders of Israel are to care. The tenants are to care for the land. And occasionally the owner is going to send a servant to collect on that harvest. It's part of the rent that comes back to the owner. And we see in this uh, passage of scripture, this was all God's doing. Israel didn't earn this. Israel wasn't good enough to get God's attention that God said, found favor on them. And because you're so good, I'm going to give this to you. No, God just out of the goodness of his heart chose Israel to be his vineyard, his people. And so we see, first of all, in this passage of scripture, we see the goodness of God. God just chooses to do this. We see God as the creator. The Bible is very clear in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that God is the creator of the universe. You know, we live in a culture today where people want us to think that uh, we have to, we have to, um, we commit intellectual suicide if we choose that, to believe that God is the creator of this universe. I am not ashamed to say, church, that God has created it all. We have not in, evolved in the, into the people that we are today. From the very beginning, God spoke and it existed. I believe in the Big Bang Theory. I believe when, Jesus, when God said, let there be light, bang! And there was light simultaneously. This is what the Bible teaches and this is what God is conveying in this parable this morning. That God owns the land. That God created the land and he created the vineyard and gave it to Israel. And as we go through this parable this morning, this parable is the history of the Old Testament. This is God's story of fact that he implemented things he he chose a nation and this is how this nation related to him for nearly 2,000 years and so this is the history of the old testament that we're seeing here this morning and what do we know about old testament history we know that israel chose to ignore god Oh, they had their high moments where they repented and they believed, but there was this vicious vicious cycle. They would follow God for a period of time, and then over a course course of time, they would they would choose to do their own thing. They would suffer the consequences. They would repent and start following God again. And so it was this vicious cycle. But here Jesus is conveying in this passage of scripture that essentially Israel has ignored him. And, um, and the longer the owner stays away, the more selfish people become. 
But in all of this rebellion, understand God continues to be good. It wasn't anything that Israel did. They weren't the mightiest. They weren't the holiest. They weren't the goodest. No. God chose because. He just loved them. He wanted to call them his own. That's grace. That's the gospel. And so we see the goodness of God uh, in this parable. And then we see the patience of God. What does, what does God do? He goes, he wants to collect uh, the rent on his land. So verses 10 through 12 says, When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of their vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. And they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Who are the servants? The servants are the prophets of the Old Testament. And every time God would send a prophet to declare the heart of God, wanting the people to come back to him, the people would beat them and drive them out. This is how they treated the, 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 the prophets. And what an insult this was to the owner. The owner was legally and morally obligated to punish Israel for the way he treat, they, they treated his servants. But God continued to be good. God continued to be patient. And he continued to send servants hoping that they would, the servant would get their attention and come back to him. But they continued to mistreat his servants. Now when we get to the New Testament, the servants, the prophets, they're good guys. I mean, God used them. In the eyes of Israel, God used them. But when they were on the scene, absolutely not. They were totally mistreated. Someone said this about the prophets. Um, uh, prophets, poets, and pigs have one thing in common. They are truly appreciated. They aren't truly appreciated until they're dead. Isn't that true? They didn't appreciate the prophets until they were long gone. Why didn't they appreciate the prophets? Because the people were selfish. They were thinking to themselves, this isn't God's land. This isn't God's vineyard. It belongs to us. Look at what we've accomplished. And they hoarded everything. And they did not acknowledge God or give back to God. Folks, don't we do the same thing? Think of the things that we have. The job, the home, the relationships, the nation that we live in. 
Do we see all these things having come from God? Even the education you've received, you didn't do that. God did that. Everything you are, everything you have, every bit of it comes from a good and loving Heavenly Father. And what are you doing with it? Are you treating it as yours? This is mine. I did this. I built this. And it's all about you. God wants to come and collect on just a little bit of all that he's entrusted to you. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time and your talents as well as your treasures. It's his. He only wants one-tenth. And God says, if you'll trust me with the tenth, I'll bless your socks off. That doesn't mean he's going to add to your bank account and you're going to be a wealthy individual in this world's eyes. No, but he's going to do things far beyond money could ever buy. It's his. And guess how God is with you? He's patient. He's good. He's given you all that you have. And he continues to be patient. If you haven't learned the lesson yet, he continues to be patient. And in this parable, they still weren't getting the message. And so we come to verses 13 through 15. The Bible says, and the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? They've they've killed my prophets. He said, I know I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Wow. Not only are we to see the goodness of God in this story this morning and the patience of God, but I want you to see the love of God. You know, instead of punishing them, instead of kicking them out of the land and just, uh, because he was totally justified in, do, in doing that, God decides, no, I'm going to send my very best, my beloved son. The indication here is my only son. I'm going to send him and maybe they'll listen to him. God knows their hearts. God knows what they're going to do. But again, Jesus is reiterating to all of us, this is how much God loves you. 
Do you sometimes question God's love in your life? God's presence in your life? And in in frustration or despondency or crisis? We cry out to God, God, why don't you love me? There's nothing more that God can do to show his love to you and I than by him having given his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. There's nothing more. What else could God do to prove, to convey the love he has for you and I? Nothing. I love you, church. And when you're going through a crisis, I want to be there for you. But I can't love you to the extent that I would be willing to give up one of my children. I would sacrifice one of my kids for this church. I can't love you that much. I'm just speaking as a dad and I'm speaking as a human. But God gave his very best to show his love for you and me. And as Jesus is sharing this, this parable, this story, Jesus is predicting his own death. And how did the people respond? The people responded by throwing the son out and killing him. Now what does the owner do? Now how how is God going to respond? Verse 16. And he will come and he will destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. Now at this point, the religious leaders know exactly who Jesus is referring to. He's referring to them. And they're appalled that God would would, would respond with justice. God would respond with uh, taking the blessing away from Israel and giving it to somebody else. Surely not. God is a very patient God. But friends, he's not going to be patient forever. And there is going to be a payday, a judgment day someday. And we, that theme has been coming up a lot in the last two, two chapters. Yes, God continues to wait today, but there's going to be a day when he's going to wait no longer. And they say, surely not. And Jesus, with penetrating eyes, looks directly into these religious leaders' faces. And he says this in verse 17. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
Jesus is saying, you know what the word says. They're very familiar with Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a messianic chapter in the Old Testament. And already they've heard um, uh, the Jews expressing themselves from Psalm 118 at verse 26 or 27, I believe, where Jesus was entering Jerusalem and they were crying out, blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Religious leaders were indignant and they told Jesus, tell them to stop, Jesus. But Jesus said, if I tell them to stop the stones, creation itself is going to cry out. God can't stop this. This is the fulfillment of scripture. And Jesus goes back to Psalm 118. And verse 22, he quotes that passage of scripture. The stone that the builders rejected is going to be Become the chief cornerstone. Yes, you're going to throw me out. Yes, you are going to kill me. But what you've rejected, God is going to resurrect. And he, the stone, this stone is going to be the most important stone of the foundation on which people must build their lives. This is what Jesus is saying in this story. And because they rejected Jesus, judgment day came. And we know history that Jerusalem and the Jews were judged in AD 70. And the temple was destroyed. The Jews were dispersed. And God set his approval. God set his providence, his watch care over the church. And God is working through the church today. Does that mean God's through with Israel? Absolutely not. Read Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 24. God has broken off the natural branch of Israel and he's grafted in the New Testament church. But one day he's going to regraft in the nation of Israel as he returns. And if you choose to miss Jesus, this is what Jesus says in verse 18. If you choose to reject the stone, verse 18 says, everyone who falls on that stone, on that cornerstone, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. In essence, Jesus is saying, church, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. If you miss Jesus, you're going to miss everything. Jesus is the stone. He is the cornerstone. 
And it's on him that we are to build our lives. He is the stone that perfectly fits the foundation of God's building. He is the capstone. And so my encouragement to you is don't miss him. Jesus says in another passage of scripture in the gospels, seek me. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Make me the priority of your life. And there's all these other things that you're concerned about. God's going to take care of those things. But seek him first and foremost. In another passage of scripture, another gospel test, Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Are you tired of struggling? Are you tired of trying to figure it out on your own? How much time are you spending with Jesus? What are you doing when you first get up in the morning? Are you running running to the caffeine? Are you running to the computer and what you missed the night before? Are you pausing? And you're saying, I want to make room for God. And I'm going to come to him first. I promised you, friend, he's going to fill your cup. But you've got to make him the priority. David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. For his name's sake, he restores my soul. David had a heart for God. David made mistakes. But God loved David as his very own. Peter says, cast all your cares on him. And he will give you peace. How are you doing at casting? Oh, we like to cast. But what else do we like to do when we cast? Reel it in. Take the reel off. The handle. Just cast your cares upon him. He is going to care for you. This is our Jesus. Don't miss him. The religious leaders, the tenants, they were totally self-centered. They kept it all to themselves. They didn't want to give it all, any of it away because that was theirs. Let go. So my question to you is, have you crossed that threshold of faith? Keep looking to Jesus. He knows what you're going through. And he wants to be there to strengthen.
And if you haven't crossed that threshold of faith, my friend, do it today. And as you do, just know, wow, I did the right thing. Wow, God got a pretty good guy when I gave my heart to Jesus. It wasn't you. It was all God's doing. He dropped the veil from your eyes. He has caused you to see Him. Give Him glory and praise. It's not about you. It's all about Him. He is the owner. He has chosen to call us His own. We belong to Him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Your amazing grace. Lord, I pray for people in this room who may be questioning who you are in their life. Lord, there are circumstances beyond their control and they're wondering whether or not you care. God, may they see all that Jesus has done for them and trust you. Trust you in your time and their time of uncertainty. I think of the Christians in Iraq who have fled for their lives because of ISIS. I think of uh, Christians in eastern Syria who have ran for their lives. God, their lives have been turned upside down. And we don't understand these things. But God, I pray that they would continue to be trusting and building their life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ that's never going to fail them. Storms are always going to come our way. But if our life is built on the cornerstone, Jesus, you promise that their house is going to stand when the storm comes. My friend, if you're in a storm this morning, would you trust the cornerstone? Say, I choose to continue to build my life on the stone that's never going to fade away. Jesus, in this time of worship and praise, may you be glorified. May you encourage hearts in this room. May we praise you for your amazing grace. In Christ's name, would you stand with me?